Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at soothing decibels. I am your host, Maxwell Lewis Sanders, and this is episode 103. For those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like Chris Evans' shoulders, Johnny Depp's cologne, and Robert Redford's leathery, leathery skin. No quote too minor, no side plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. So no, no five minute observation today because I, the show's kind of morphed into just the me and Andrew hour. So Andrew Stefan, welcome again. Is that what we're calling it? The me and Andrew hour? That sounds, I don't know. That sounds kind of like a bar, <laughs> like after school Barney show where you're a giant like green dinosaur that reads rhymes to children. So I don't know. Well, it's, well work in progress. We got it. Yeah. We're really bad at titles. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Yeah, you know what? Cage Match Mondays was not bad. Yeah, that's true. But although there's 78 different Nicolas Cage podcasts out there, so I felt so unoriginal. I was so bummed out. I, you know what? I'd like to apologize to Mr. Uh, Nicolas Cage. I think what? we abandoned shit. We abandoned shit. <laughs> you <laughs> we want to get back on we the Cage train? We went well, hard with The Rock, Gone in 60, Moonstruck, and we just jumped real quick. Yeah, I think that Trapped in Paradise movie broke us. Like, it broke our brains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Rum- Rumblefish was not a good uh, addition to that. Nope, but it led us to this, though, and we got to a new movie. This is our first non-Nick Cage movie in God knows how long, but we watched the 1981 masterpiece, Michael Mann's first movie in theaters thief love it so give me give me a little backdrop like what what was your mood when you were watching it were you expecting much did you know anything about it well what was up knew nothing about it um i had to look it up real quick michael mann so i was in and i stopped researching i knew it was michael mann and i i was done i was hooked yeah i mean this movie i watch a lot of movies you know i watch two three movies a day at a time and most of them kind of just go in one ear, out the other. I don't have many brain cells left anyway, so it's like I can't really care about much if I want to, like, you know, remember my name at the end of the day. This movie made me sit down and just shut up and watch it for two hours straight. It was, I think it's my favorite Michael Mann movie. It's just so, uh, yeah. So I was, was going to ask, I was going to ask, favorite Michael Mann, where does this rank before we even get into it? It's this or Heat. It's this or Heat. Uh, he's, he's obviously number one. Come on. I, this is... This is Neil McCullough before he was Neil McCullough. Do you know what I mean? This is this, this, this was a precursor to Heat. You're right. Yeah. This is, Frank becomes Neil, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're the same guy. For 19 and also the 1981-ness of it all, the like the Cadillacs, the clothes, you know, the $150 slacks. And <laughs> Rolex. <laughs> yeah. I got a three-carat diamond ring here, baby. It's like, oh my God, you are you are a creep. <laughs> and I normally do you like James Conn? So I don't know much about James Conn other than his like mid to late 90s stuff. And then obviously Godfather. Yeah. But there's not a lot of James Conn. So this is like the role he was born to play. Yes. This is the arrogant. You don't really like him, but you respect the confidence. And then he takes no guff off anybody being the expert jewel thief, Frank. Like this is the role he was meant to play. Yeah, it's agreed. Just, it's just, I mean, and also he said he's been quoted. This is his favorite uh, this is his favorite role, and the after monologue. After Godfather, after Godfather, this is his favorite one. Yeah. Yeah, but he says his monologue in the diner in uh, in this movie is his favorite piece of acting he's ever done. Oh right, he said that he usually likes to play emotionally available, but this guy Frank couldn't be available to anyone. 
I think it's the Michael Mann special. It's just these unavailable, super talented people that are just cold and dead inside, but you're still fascinated by them because they're talented at what they do. That's one of my favorite characters. Yeah. It's just, so and let's break it down first. Cause people are like, it's, yeah. it's called Thief. What is, what is it about? Well, guess what? Spoiler alert. It's about a thief. <laughs> a high-end jewel thief, Frank, kind of on his own. Late 30s, 35, 36, 37, that kind of vibe. Yeah, it, he looks he looks early 40s, but sure. I think James Conn was born looking, you know, 42. You know, that's he's true. Got, he's got one of those mugs. He's like a yeah, bulldog. The chest hair rolling out of his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's um kind of a higher-end thief. You can tell he's an expert at what he does, and he gets approached by a guy named Leo, who's kind of a Chicago mob boss of some sort, and he wants him to work for him. And so we can pull off bigger jobs, you know, be more secure, be protected from the cops and all that. But he still has to play by Leo's rules. And Frank doesn't particularly like that, does he? He plays by no one's rules, not even his own. Um, but he likes being a self-contracted uh, man, one one to do two jobs at a time. Uh, yeah. He doesn't like to be tied down. Yeah, I just, there's something respectable. It's weird. It's like, you know, he's a sleazeball. Like the way he treats women when he's with, talking to Jesse about, I want a wife. He seems like he just wants a wife at home. He doesn't even want to have a partner. He just wants to have someone so he doesn't die alone kind of thing. It's just, but he has a lot of standards in his work. Yeah. There's just a perfectionist. And also, I mean, it's super interesting. I read this too, that he didn't use any shortened words. Like he didn't use don't or uh, can't. No, no, no contractions, right? Yeah. Because he was he never wanted to repeat himself. He just had, was in control of the situation at all times. And it's like, guys like that, the... It's like the Dr. Houses of the world. You want, you don't, you know, they're terrible people, but you're fascinated by these geniuses at these weird skill sets. I'm going to start speaking in no contractions. Yeah, I mean, that's hard. I'm, I'm going to call you out the second it happens. <laughs> you're, you're about to say, okay, weren't you? Like, I was going to say, I was going to say, that's really hard, but that's a contraction. Wait, what, is, what does okay stand for? Is it Oakley Dokley or what is it? Okla. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. But we need to figure that out. But, Another time, but let's, let's talk Michael Mann too. So, have you ever seen the Jericho Mile? That's his first movie he ever did. It was that's a, a movie. It's a short film. Yeah, I have so not. You're a big Bill Simmons fan. It is one of Bill Simmons' favorite movies. Every time he gets a chance, he raves about it. He's like, "It's the best TV movie you ever seen in your life." So, oh, wow. okay, think, yeah, and you can't find it anywhere. It's about a prisoner in like Folsom Prison who you know wants to break the four minute mile or something, and that's the whole plot of the movie. And it's like. Michael Mann became fascinated with criminals, cops, all that kind of stuff. And it shows in this movie, like this movie looks and feels realistic, doesn't it? That these characters actually existed in reality. Well, he's from Chicago. I think he, he knows is. the streets very well. And he was exposed movie takes to place in Chicago. Yeah, by the way. Very young age, he was exposed to Chicago. Yeah, and he just knows all the cops. I mean, yeah, I guess... he knows the crooked cops. He knows the streets. He knows the crime lords. He knows what goes on. Yeah, so the, I think no one better can make films like this than Michael Mann. No, I think his brain is wired differently than everybody yeah. else. Like he right. sees the world in black and white and grids, you know, and yeah, and, and uh, wet streets. He needs wet streets. <laughs> I, I read something that they use like ten thousand gallons of water to keep the streets wet. So they had sixty thousand gallon tanker 60. on set all times to keep to keep the roads wet because it just looks for better in reflections and all. That's insane. Michael <laughs> Mann loves his shots. You know what I mean? Like I these like magic hour shots and these like everyone looks important and ominous and low angle shots. Like this movie, it doesn't have a lot to say, but it just fired me up for some reason. Like it just, it got like the spirit of 
I don't know, kind of the American man trying to make it, it for himself. I was fired up when I realized it was Chicago. Yeah. Driving down, uh, driving down, what is that, Lincoln, Lincoln Street under the L when he's yeah. going uh, under the, yeah, the, the subway, something like that. Yeah. The yeah. wet streets. Just knew right away I was fired up. Great. So really, yeah. So we haven't gotten the plot yet, really. It's pretty a basic plot. It's just he gets recruited by Leo, who, by the way, Robert Prosky, who we've seen in a million things. This was his first movie role as Leo. At, at 50 years old. Yeah, there's only one person who has an older movie, I mean, a, a better first movie premiere, premiere over 40 years old. Do you know who it is? Uh, who is it? Uh, it's uh, Alan Rickman, 42, for uh, Die Hard. Oh, yeah, 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 Die Hard. first role. But yeah. this is like, he is so shockingly good. He's basically the devil. He's like... Sinister. Yeah. <laughs> God, smiles all the time. <laughs> yeah, and it's after the end when he's like, I'll kill your family, I'll rip yeah. your dog in half. It's like, oh my God, what is wrong with you? And he's smiling as he says it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, my God. Ear to ear. Okay, let's get in the plot. Come on. Okay. So Frank robs a no- like a normal job. He gets like $185,000, you know, payday. The guy he gives the money to ends up getting murdered. That's how he ends up meeting Leo. Leo recruits him into his uh, fraternity of criminals, gangsters, and thieves. And he pulls off jobs for him. And they end up doing one giant job which Frank kind of sees as being his way out. You know what I mean? He's like one job and I'm out, which yeah, it's, uh, will you ever get tired of a movie like that where it's like one job and I'm out? If they say like, that in a movie, I'm in every like time. The, like the big score, right? Yeah. Cause it yeah. never works out and you want it to happen every time. You're like, I believe in you. And it's like, why do I do this? <laughs> <laughs> why do I hurt myself again? So, you know, he plans for the job. He gets married to Jesse. Who's kind of, I mean, their monologue in the diner where they're just talking about life and he's talking about how prison kind of broke his spirit. But once it was broken that the other people left him alone is kind of like one of the most nihilistic, dark, but beautiful kind of just prose I've ever heard from, you know, a masculine guy who's, in a, who's a gangster. It's like beautiful. It's, it's very dark. And I had to rewatch it twice again today because I didn't catch it the first time when I watched the movie, how dark it actually is. Yeah. Just them going back and forth telling their stories. And he's got a little vision board with like things he wants, but he also has like skulls on it. So it's like he knows he needs to kill people or get through people to get what he wants. It's like that that vision board was wild because I immediately went to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. And they have like the Ferraris and the (laughs) on their vision boards. (laughs) Yeah, slightly different. This was a little darker. Yeah. Michael Mann doesn't believe in people. He doesn't have faith in people in general. He's just like, but I mean to show the magic of Michael Mann, Jim Belushi as Barry, his kind of number two in his thievery kind of uh, corporation. Yeah. Incredible. Like, the coolest Jim Belushi's ever been. And one of Belushi's first movies, too. Yeah. It's like, you wonder if there was a different path for Jim Belushi where he could be in these movies. Like, he could have been Tom Sizemore in Heat. You know what I mean? Oh, yes. Yeah, I think someone made, a, someone made a point that he stopped acting in dramatic movies when his brother died that was a year after this movie too yeah so it's like he either felt he needed to take the mantle or he was too sad to be in you know heavy movies i mean i don't know the you know what's behind jim belushi's ears but like i wish he was i wish he was a serious actor he's a big guy with some gravitas and like when he's hitting all the wires trying to figure out you know which one's gonna click things off like he was believable as like a master thief yeah yeah he could have done something else but Similar to his brother. Yeah, I guess. 
But I mean, now he's in according to Jim and all that stuff. But anyway, so the, the plot goes on. He gets his wife. He wants a kid. He can't get a kid because, you know, obviously he's a criminal and has a really rough scene with the adoption agency where he's like, give me the unwanted kids because I'm an unwanted. It's like, and he's much more vulgar than that, but it's. Did you catch one of the things that she says to him? You spelled, no. you spelled male, M-A, it's male is spelled M-A-L-E. The other one we put postage into. And he says, oh, yeah. Oh man, right. no, I didn't catch that. That was, that was cruel. Yeah. Right off the top. <laughs> man. I, yeah. So it's so, so he's like talented at some things, but clearly he's just, you know, he doesn't have, it's like me and technology. I just don't understand it. I yeah. fear it. But, uh, <laughs> but so they, they don't have a kid. Leo, who's the crime boss is like, you want a kid? I'll get you a kid. What kind of kid do you want? You want a boy? You want a girl? Like he's the devil basically that he, I, I was shocked how easy it could be to get a child off the streets. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what child prices are nowadays. I'll have to check the black market. But <laughs> <laughs> but Leo is this perfect, you know, he's this smiling devil. Like, don't cross him and he'll give you your dreams. And so the main plot of the story is they have to take over this big heist. It's like over $900,000 in diamonds, which God knows nowadays. And he has to create all these custom devices, this custom welding group, welding uh, equipment and you know they actually used real they cracked every safe in this movie for real yeah they use real tools on actual real safes not like safes people use but they bought actual safes yeah and the wild thing is uh the advisor who this is kind of based on john statucci santucci yeah santucci uh, yeah he plays the criminal the kind of sleazebag cop that bothers frank the whole time yeah right it's his tools that they're using during the entire movie so is is John Santucci the author of the book that this movie? No, that's about? that's Frank. Uh, I don't oh, know his last name. Holm- Holmeyer. Okay, you're right. Yeah, yeah, but like they're using Santucci's techniques and his uh, his like equipment and his expertise to kind of uh, base off who Frank would be. And also, I guess Santucci was too kind of uh, comedic and over the top that uh, James Conn didn't see him as someone he wanted to mimic in the movie. Ooh. Do you know who originally uh, Michael Mann wanted for the role? I, I read a couple. I had a couple names written down. Yeah, Himmy. Um, gosh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. Now, do you remember Jeff Bridges in the early '80s? He is just a fantastic-looking dude. Like he is young. If you've seen Against All Odds, have you ever seen that? No. No. It's a wild movie. He's a tight end for the like the LA NFL team. He gets okay. cut, and he has to go find a girl who God, who's a sleazeball? James Woods. He has to like find a girl for a sleazeball James Woods uh, like bookie and things just get weird, but he looks like an NFL player. Like when he has the pads on, he looks like for real. He was just too young for this. Like Frank needed to be grizzly. He looks jacked. All right. Yeah. So Frank, I, I also read that Al, Al Pacino, Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider were also considered. Yeah. I think, I think Gene Hackman would have crushed it. I love Gene Hackman. Crazy. Gene Hackman's never been in a bad movie. I don't think like he just <laughs> rules at everything he does, but I think this is, so it's so funny. It's like when you watch James Conn's career in general, like I don't know if you've seen Rollerball, which is really good in the 70s, which is wild. Or, I mean, he was okay in the program. Do you remember that movie? I love that movie. Yeah, yeah I watched it in college. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like he was on mute. You know, it was like diet James Conn. He like wasn't really trying. He was going through the motions. It wasn't as good as it should have been. This is, I think this is best performance. Yeah, without a doubt. Better than Godfather. Obviously. Yeah, and it's shocked. Like that's what blew my doors off is that this movie that is kind of not really known and kind of not really associated with greatness. And you have one of the best Michael Mann filmed movies 
and you have the best James Conn performance of all time. It's like, why does this movie kind of fall through the cracks of time? I don't understand it. I, I, I don't know if you, you obviously know better than I do, but is 81 a big year for movies? Not particularly. 84 and 85 are like the yeah. monster years. That's the Terminator, Back to the Future, Goonies, all that kind of. That's when the yeah. movie became a spectacle, really. So 81 is, like, is Raiders, Stripes, Escape from New York. There's not much in 81. It's still coming off of the 70s, I think. Yeah, this movie uh, feels like a 70s movie that got filmed yeah. in the 80s. It's gritty. Right. You know, it's to the street. It's these really unlikable characters, and it's kind of a no-nonsense crime movie. Yeah, there's an urban crime film from the 70s. That Every single movie in the 70s was urban crime. Yeah, but he just filmed it like everyone. Even Willie Nelson looks cool and badass. Like, what is that about? I know that was a nice cameo. Yeah, he's a good. I guess he had some acting chops in like the seventies and eighties. Like he's he's not bad as a criminal. I don't mind him as kind of you know the uh, father figure as Okla for uh, Frank. Yeah, him. and uh, Roger Ebert says something that um, Willie Willie's performance left you wanting more from Willie Nelson from Okla. Yeah, There's a little more development on his character, but. I, I, I like. That, yeah, I think that's great when you want more. Do you know what I mean? Always leave people wanting more. Always. Right. But uh, so in the end, you know, Frank pulls off the job, and that job is incredible. The way they do it, the way they break through, it seems so complicated. I I couldn't even follow what they were doing when it came to breaking the locks, when it it's came a, to saying saying codes like Mexico into a phone, and then and using that, the giant effing sparkler. Yeah, that's like <laughs> four thousand degrees. Like they actually did that too. Like that was like. That was what they actually did. And when the, when Frank finally finishes the job and sits down in that chair, you know, and like they slowly pan in on, in on him and the Tangerine Dream synth music is playing and he's finally at peace for like one second because this is what his life's about. Yep. I don't know, there's something like spiritual and beautiful about like a man and his craft. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he nailed it. He might as well be chopping wood in the forest as kind of a woodsman. Like, you know, uh, what's his name? Like Ron Swanson, you know, just in his cabin. There was just something peaceful about him. I just loved it. <laughs> and also, the I mean, am I am I going way too? Am I really no, no. Going you're, you're gonna get, are you going to get in a Tangerine dream, dream right now? Sure, let's do it. Yeah, I love the I love the soundtrack. <laughs> Tangerine like Dream. They made the soundtracks of the '80s. Did you know they run? They were nominated for a Razzie for worst music. A lot of people hate them in general. So screw this, <laughs> screw them, okay? The 80s were meant for synth and electro. I mean, Daft Punk broke up today. So it's like, let's pour one out for synth and electro oh, stuff. Oh, man. Okay. You know that? I, I was just looking at a Daft Punk uh, about two days ago, and I, I was at, wondering when their next, you know, CD or album's coming out. Well, never. So. Never, I guess. <laughs> Thanks. But Tangerine Dream is done... Uh, What's it called? Risky Business, which I'll argue is one of the best soundtracks of the 80s. Do you remember Risky Business at all? No, I don't. Have you seen it? I don't believe I have. No! I know. Okay, that's going to be our next movie, I think. It has to be. <laughs> it's like, it's not it, that... It's iconic. it's iconic Tom Cruise, but, you know... I, yeah, but I'm, I'm telling you, the music amplifies things up. They also did the music for, I believe, Legend and a few other movies in the 80s. And it's like, I don't know, I just like this electro coldness kind of vibe to it where it's like i'm a man apart and i just think the music really amplifies that yeah uh neon lights the dark lit um streets of chicago yep. yeah like the car lot where like all the cars are reflecting and all and i don't know it's just beautiful and I, I think it's really cool too like the whole time frank is flashing a gun you're wondering i've heard this interesting thing that when you see a gun in a movie the movie is making you a promise that it's going to fire at some point 
That's interesting. Isn't that interesting to think about? That like the second you see that gun or a gun in general, the movies told you that at some point it's going to fire. Now, do you remember when the first gunfire shot is in this movie? <sighs> no. It's because there's only, I mean, it's, it's Barry getting shot in the car lot. Is that the only one? No, no. I mean, in the end, there's a huge cut. There's a huge gun shootout. <laughs> but, well, yeah, uh, yeah. But that, like, Barry's the first one. Barry's the first one, and that's like with 20 minutes left in the movie. Yeah. So it's like he really kind of strings you along, waiting for it. You know what I mean? And it's just like when it hits you. I mean, he Barry gets exploded by a shotgun too. He gets like yeah. R.I.P. Jim. He is gone. Yeah. <laughs> and then Frank has to watch him get like melted in a vat. And then I mean, this movie is dark. <laughs> and then, the way he deals with his family too, he's like, I'm done with you. You know, you're never going to see me again. And it's like, he, here's $110,000. I'm going to keep giving you money. It's like, oh my God. Like, and kicks her out. Yeah. Yeah. So, I and mean, his son, right? They're both. Yeah. Gone. I wonder, I mean, does Michael Mann need a hug? Is that what we're establishing? I, if you look at his list of movies that did after this, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Is there, is there any movie where there's someone like lovable? No. No. <laughs> Actually, I've never, I've never seen The Keep. I don't even know what that's about. Oh, I need to see that. That's an 80s one, right? Yeah, 83. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to see that, yeah. But uh, I've never seen Ali, but I'm not sure if he made him likable or not. But I mean, he's a very charismatic guy. At least I know that. But anyways, so he Frank pulls off this giant job. We're, this is the most hodgepodge way of... This is how I like to deconstruct a movie, though. You know, you poke in, you poke out. Well, I, I told you, we're going to be jumping around. Yeah, but... You know, I listen to a billion podcasts and I can't stand when people just go on tangents. They're like, oh, I had dinner last night. What'd you have? And it's like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, stay on point. We're at least in the movie the entire time. <laughs> so screw them. Yay us. But anyways, Frank pulls off this massive job. It's going to be like a $900,000 payday to him. He's like, I'm out. You know, I can finally, I got my wife. I got my house. I can finally just exist. But Leo has other plans for him. Right? Right. Yeah. Do another so, job. Yeah, he's just, and he invests most of his money into like a real estate property in Florida and only gives him $70,000, $80,000. And, you know, Frank, as we've seen before, like, like the cops, it'd be very easy for him to just pay off the 10% of the cops and just like let it be. But mm -hmm. for some reason, he does, he has no inclination to do that. He has no like survival skills in that area. He's just dead in that part. You all right? Yeah, no, I'm here. Oh. I was looking up. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, got a little uh, sidetrack. Nine hundred thousand dollars. You said is that what it was worth? That was his payday. Two point five million dollars today. Yeah. So he was set. Thought it was gonna be fine, but turns out, you know, they kept pulling him back in, and he's like, "Screw you!" And he gets, you know, uppity with Leo. Leo then, sadly, as we said, kills Barry brutally, and then gives him the the all time anti-motivation speech about what he's going to do to his family if he doesn't stay with him and yeah leo wouldn't be, leo would not be a good like halftime coach no but i feel like i can work well with leo because <laughs> i'd want to he seems reasonably like if i could ask for whatever i wanted from someone it's like i want a ferrari it's like i'm gonna get you a ferrari it's like i want a jello mold filled with 14 karat gold diamond rings that i that are edible and he's like, yeah, I can do that. It's like, <laughs> you can give me whatever you want. And, he, you know, he's, he's investing your money for you. Like, I I think Leo is an underrated boss. Just don't cross, him. you know what I mean? Like, lesson learned. You know, watch what happens to Frank. But Frank just takes this. Frank basically becomes the Terminator after this. He yeah. sets the car lot on fire, which 
cool story. I guess it was below freezing outside when they did that uh, when they did that shot in Chicago. Four a.m. Like, yeah, at like two, three in the morning, and everyone still watched it because they wanted to see explosions. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So it's Midwesterners. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And so he goes to Leo's house and basically just takes out his entire crew and kills Leo. You think he gets shot and killed too, but no, he's wearing the bulletproof vest. Yeah, didn't see that coming. And the way he holds a gun, I guess he did like some serious gun training. The way he holds a gun is so professional and so cool looking. Like, I don't like firearms in general, but the way James Caan is just loading and reloading and stuff, it's just, it's so like military black ops, just I don't give a crap about anything. And it just... It's would you so take cool. lessons? Would you take gun lessons from James Conn? Yes, in a yeah. heartbeat. Yeah, I've taken gun lessons once, and it's kind of terrifying. But <laughs> I wore I wore Gucci sandals, and I kept I had to wear these little uh, white like foot foot booty booty things because I didn't realize you know the casings come off. So I kept getting burns on my feet. So <laughs> that's a story. But uh, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But James Conn, just I don't know the intensity and the way he like you know takes everyone out. And the fact that he walks away, that's not a Michael Mann special. You know what I mean? Michael Mann usually with heat, with collateral, kind of his big bad in the end ends up dying kind of tragically semi-heroically, you know? Yeah, right. No one survives a Michael Mann film. Yeah. You, did you think Frank was going to survive? No, I, no. Yeah, I didn't think so either. And not for, sure. not for sure. You know, it'd be like a overview shot of James Conn lying on the ground looking up at the camera. Yeah, but instead the camera pans up right. and it goes from the synth music into into Pink Floyd actually, which is crazy. Is that who it is, Pink Floyd? Okay. Yeah, and that's like such a like a deviation for him, which is really cool. And I don't know, this is just it's a perfect tight encapsulated movie that really kind of got I don't know got me. It just so like, does does Frank meet meet up with Jesse or is he done? Meet up with, uh, no, so there's a. There's a script where there's another scene where Jesse finds him on a beach in a house and like forces him to get back together, basically. What is this? There's like an unwritten uh, ending that they- I don't know. I didn't hear about this. Well, I listened to like four podcasts. I had a long drive yesterday. I listened to four (laughs) Thief podcasts yesterday. So I am bringing heat. (laughs) So I think this is the, the thing with any Michael Mann movie. When you get into like the nitty gritty of it, he has so much detail, so much passion for every single shot that you can keep just, you keep finding new things. Like I guess the monologue story that uh, Frank gave in the diner to Jesse, that's actually a letter he got from someone at Folsom Prison when he was uh, filming Jericho Mile. Oh, no way. Yeah, so I mean, I wonder wonder if Michael Mann's ever broken the law. What do you think? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, like, what, what, he, what, what did he do? It's got to be something like high tech and intricate, right? At this point, maybe, <laughs> I mean, maybe he does it on the side now. You know, I mean, that's what he does. I don't, I don't know. But just thank you, Michael Mann. Thank you, James Con. Thank you, Jim Belushi. And just thank you, Robert Prosky, for being in your first role ever and just being Satan himself. I mean, this is just Robert Prosky is such a nice character too. I mean. Yeah, he's usually like a nice kind of the older grandpa. Guy. I know him from um, Mrs. Doubtfire, and then he's the judge in Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, my God. Yeah, she's such a nice guy. And then he does this, you know. Yeah, as his first fire. role. But <laughs> see, that's what bothers me about this movie. Like, this movie, this should have been a role for him that stuck because 
it's so memorable and so terrible that he couldn't get out of these roles. And somehow this movie just got forgotten. I, there's no like, there's no box office information on it. I wonder how it did in theaters. So um, 11.5. That's not great. Yeah. Uh, 5.5 budget, 11.5 box office. Okay, double your money. But not, not bad for the budget. Yeah. So uh, three and so a half, we'll, three and a half stars by Roger Ebert. Yeah. I mean, Rog saw Michael Mann coming. He's like, this dude has got something. So what would you give this movie a rating? One to ten. Eight and a half. I wanted I wanted a little more heist. But I, I was satisfied, but I could always do with more heist. I, I same with like gone in 60 seconds. I wanted more heist of cars. I always want more heist of banks and say stuff like that. What movie gives you enough heist? <laughs> enough heist? Yeah, where you're satisfied. <laughs> like what movie's like you did the exact right amount of heist? <laughs> now you see me, or what what are we talking? Ooh, you see me. It was good. Italian. Oh, it wasn't. It was terrible. <laughs> so it was hey, very hey, entertaining, but no. Where, where does this where does this rank on your heist movies? Because I think I have a favorite heist. So I don't think this is a this movie's about the heist. You know, it's about know, this. But it's yeah. still a heist. It's still a heist movie. Yeah, it's up there. I mean, it's I think it might be my favorite heist movie. Okay. Yeah. It's like a 9.3, 9.4 to me. Something Ooh. about it just hit me. And just like rock my work because I'm watching all these '80s movies and a lot of them are film garbage. Like the soundtrack doesn't really work, the acting's not that great. You know what I mean? Like, but this movie is like we're not from the '80s. We're just a movie, and we're gonna exist for all time. Like, this, I mean, I know like the clothes are dated and the cars are dated, and you know James Caan and his chest hair are dated. But like, no, uh, it's it's not dated. It fits perfectly in the time. Yeah, the principles of this movie. You know what I mean? Like the themes and the ideas of kind of defining yourself in your work and also kind of losing yourself to the cruelty of the world kind of, I don't know, they just still, it just hit me. And it's like, you know, I'm like the softest person in the world. And yet for some reason, this movie just struck with me. This is James Caan's obviously greatest performance, Apex. Um, where does he kind of rank with your other 70s, 80s actors? Lower, lower. I mean, this in the 80s, he kind of disappears a little yeah, bit. This right. is like, this is where he- So like, like Robert Duvall, Al Pacino, Harrison Ford. So I Jack, think- Jack, Jack yeah, I think Khan can bring it just as much whenever he wants to. So yeah. it's like, I mean, if you see Misery, he's fantastic. Or I mean, he can be, he can be, even be an elf and be fantastic too. So it's like, <laughs> love elf. Everyone loves elf. The world yeah. loves elf. But so I'm glad. I'm so glad we talked about this. I'm so glad we found this. I'm glad we took a break from Nick Cage and watched something fantastic. So I think I want to do risky business, but I want to talk to you offset. I want to. I don't want to box us in yet. Okay. No, I, let's not box in. But let me give one suggestion. Yep. I, I, I've been meaning to watch this. Um, I don't know if you want to double dip with some 80s. Hit me. 1986, Ron Howard's Gung Ho with Michael Keaton. Yeah, I've seen it. It's, it's really funny. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I've been meaning to watch it for such a long time. We yeah, don't, have to, so, don't have to commit. Don't tell. We don't need to tell our listeners. But Okay, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Andrew's mom and me when I'm bored. <laughs> Dude, thanks so much. This is really fun. This is a most, good one. This is the most passionate I think we've had for something. I think so. Sorry, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> well, I think have any of the movies we've seen really had a director? Well, I guess the last one we talked about was Francis Ford Coppola, but he's too confusing for us to care about. <laughs> he's like, this is art, and we're like, I don't understand this. You know, I mean, this- I, we could do we could do an entire Michael Mann filmography if we wanted. Ooh, a man manography. Manography. Yeah. Now I gotta watch the keep too, so I'm really excited about that. That's next, 1983. Yeah. All right, cool. Well. Enjoy your evening, Andrew. Thanks for coming in early. I appreciate that. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Later, bud. Yeah.